started. Tomorrow morning, I'm going to tell you how I became a Christian, a Seventh-day Adventist in Baghdad, Iraq, and how God took everything and made it to work for good on my behalf and on behalf of my family. But tomorrow evening, I'm going to tell you the story of the prodigal son from a Middle Eastern perspective. You will see this story in a completely new light. I'm saving it to the last so you will not leave tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> I just want to make sure about that. Uh, actually, part of it is based on a research that took more than 17 years by somebody by the name of Kenneth Bailey, who got intrigued with the culture over there, and he ended up writing seven or eight books on the subject. But you have to come back tomorrow afternoon. All right. Um, I'd like you to open your scripture with me to Matthew chapter 19. There is a story that is repeated three times in the scripture. However, it is a little bit out of characteristic with Jesus. You always find Jesus to be mild and meek, loving, caring. But in this story, he went into the temple and he saw the money changers. They were supposed to be there because they were providing a service for people who came and exchanged money for some animals so they could sacrifice them. But they were tacking on big profits. And that is what angered Jesus. They turned the house of the Lord into business. And notice what he said. Matthew 19, verse 13. He said to them, it is written, My house shall be called, what? My house shall be called a house of prayer. To me, what's amazing is that Jesus does not say, My house shall be called a house of preaching. And we do a lot of preaching in the house of the Lord, but he doesn't say that. He does not say, my house shall be called a house of fellowship. And that's one of the things that we enjoy about going to church. Or a house of singing. And we had wonderful singing tonight. But he doesn't say that. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Because only through prayer that people will come to the throne of grace. Only through prayer they're going to appreciate the love of God. Let's pray. Our F Father in heaven, I pray that you will just take the words I say and put grace and blessings and effectiveness in them. Now I pray that they will be applicable to everyone who is here and um, that everyone here will be a man, a woman, a young man, a young woman of prayer, that we will live a life of connection with you. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1969, more than a thousand, 50,000 evangelical 
pastors, scholars from all over the world gathered in the city of Chicago to discuss what is going wrong with the church today. Why it is not as effective as it used to be. 50,000 people came up with all kinds of ideas. Techniques, strategies, plans on what to do to revive the church. And here is what the keynote speaker said. And he took them into completely new direction. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do will go on and no one would know the difference. Now, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everyone would know the difference. Now think about it. If there is no Holy Spirit in your life and I have the ability to look into your heart, will I be able to tell the difference? If I show up in your church next Sabbath, and if there is no Holy Spirit, will I be able to tell the difference? I pray that there will be a significant difference. And that the church will never be able to operate without the presence of the Holy Spirit. Um, Just a few years ago, the Southern Baptist did a study to identify the top 10 problems that the church is facing today. And they said the number one problem the church is facing today is apathy. Would you agree with them? Uh, Shallowness. Uh, Superficiality, no depth, no commitment, no involvement. Worldliness. One of the people who participated in this study wrote a book called Confronting Casual Christianity where he said most Christians have one foot in the kingdom of God and another one in the kingdom of this world and they like it that way because they are getting benefits out of both worlds. You could see the list. Teenage dropout, fear of evangelism, maxed out schedule with no real purpose or result. We actually have never lived in a time in history where we have more books on how to have a healthy marriage and there are more marriages in trouble than ever before. We never have lived in a time in history where we have so many tons of books on how to raise your kids the right way and more of them are in trouble than any other time in history. In fact, today we have tons of books on how to revive your church, and the church is declining. We have the know-how, but we are lacking the power. It took uh, the Southern Baptist three years and $386,000 to come up with this list. I could have done it for half of the price. You don't need to do a research to come up with a list like this. Anyone who goes to church on a regular basis will tell you these are the problems we are facing today. 
really all what research is doing is confirming common sense and sound observations. I looked at this list and I said, these are symptoms. What is behind it? What is causing it? And I was only able to come up with two. But just before I tell you what the two are, I just like to set the stage for what I'm going to say from the same speech by the same man. He said, we may as well face it. The whole level of spirituality among us is low. We have measured ourselves by ourselves until the incentive to seek higher plateaus and the things of the Spirit is all but gone. We have imitated the world, sought popular favor, manufactured delights to substitute for the joy of the Lord, and produced cheap and synthetic power to substitute for the power of the Holy Spirit. Lack of connection with Jesus is the number one problem we are facing. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man, woman remain in me and I in them, they will bear much fruit. Let's all really say the last part together. Apart from me. How much can you really do apart from Jesus? Nothing. There was a church of 80 people, very vibrant, very dynamic, wonderful group of people to belong to. And they met on a Sunday morning, and they had a wonderful brunch, and they decided they were going to build a church that seats 500 people. And there were a couple of wealthy people in this group who contributed to this project. And they started the building project. And the church started to grow 90, 100, 110, 120. They reached about 135. And the shell of the building was completed. And they came to the sanctuary to decide how many sets of pews going to be in it? Like, for instance, here you have three on this side, three on this side. Are they going to have three, three, two, two, one, one? And that eventually erupted into a problem. And it became out of control. And the attendance of that church started to decline. And it reached 40 and it stayed at 40 for a whole year. And they came to me and they asked me to be the pastor of this church. I was uh, working on my doctoral degree in leadership and church growth. So I said, I really need to go to this church and help it to grow. 
And in this case, I would become expert in church growth. So I went to this church, um, and I worked 80 hours every week. I was very, very driven. I took everything I learned at the seminary and implemented at that church. All of the plans, strategies, techniques. And I drafted my wife to work 20 hours with me every week. And we did this for three and a half years. And I'm very happy to tell you the amazing result that happened as a result of working a hundred hours between two people for three and a half years. The attendance of that church went from 40 to 30. (laughs) And I became known as a church decline expert. And if you are a church decline expert, no church will ever want you. No conference will ever hire you. You see, I learned about a lot of things. But the most important thing was the thing I needed to learn more about. The first lesson we need to learn here at camp meeting, in your church, at the seminary, at the school, is the lesson of dependence upon God. And I, you know, since I accepted the invitation to come over here, I have been really praying for you. I hardly know anybody here. But every day around noon, I go for a walk, one hour of prayer walk. And many times I lifted you up to the Lord. And I pray that the result of being here, we will be anointed with the Holy Spirit. And that we will depend upon God. And notice, before you can attain success in any line, whether in any ministry you do in your church, if you want to be fruitful in that ministry, we need to accept the truth contained in the words of Christ. Without me, you can do nothing. Let nothing, what would be nothing here? Zero, but it could include telephone, internet, sports, uh, kids, any kind of distraction. Let nothing, however dear, however loved, observe your mind and affections diverting you from the study of God's word or from earnest prayer, watch unto prayer. Um, This word, earnest prayer, is mentioned 1,153 times in her writing. That's a lot of times. The first problem is lack of connection with Jesus. The second one is too much reliance on human efforts. Uh, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by, my, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Does anybody remember what's the context of this? The rebuilding of the temple. Fifteen years passed by, and they were not able to do it. They were very discouraged. And God came and he said, it's not by what you do. 
is by what I do. This word might is every conceivable human ingenuity, talent, or resources. 35 years ago, actually next week, I went to my first pastor's meeting. There were 120 pastors. I just graduated from Walla Walla. And um, their wives were with them. And somebody came to a pulpit like this. And he lifted up a set of papers. And he said, now we have a program that is going to finish the work. I got excited about it. I really wanted Jesus to come. Well, obviously he didn't come. So the same guy, two years later, came to the same spot. And he said, now we have a program that is going to finish the work. I got excited about it. Well, obviously he didn't come. Two years later, another guy came in. Same pulpit, different set of papers. He said, now we have a program that is going to finish the work. I wasn't even listening to him. I really didn't care about anything he said. Because I knew that none of these work. If they work, we would be in the kingdom. You know, the seminary hired me to teach some of these strategies and plans about church growth. And I have to say something nice about them because my job is dependent upon them. But I want to tell you, they don't work. (laughs) You know that from experience, right? (laughs) They are wonderful. They are great. It would be like that Mercedes-Benz over there or a Lexus. They are great cars, but without gasoline, they wouldn't move an inch. Our greatest need today is not more programs. Our greatest need today is more infilling of the Holy Spirit. That is the greatest need that the church is facing today. We need more and more of the power, the presence, and the grace of God in our midst. I remember when my church dropped to to 30 people. I used to stand over here in the front of them. And I used to tell them if I had a better congregation, I would have finished the work. And they would look back at me and they would say, if we have a better pastor, we would have finished the work. And we kept blaming each other. I read a story that I had to check the authenticity of it. Lawrence of Arabia, in 1919, took some leaders from the Gulf countries and Saudi Arabia to the peace summit in Paris. And Paris is a beautiful city. He wanted to show them the city. They were not interested. You know what fascinated them? was the faucets in the bathroom. They went to the bathroom, they turned them on, and the water came down. You see, there is no water in Saudi Arabia. There are no rivers in a country two-thirds the size of the United States. There is no rivers or lakes or aquifer because the Lord took all of the water they had and converted it into oil. 
So on the last day of the summit, those chieftains went into the city and they spent millions of dollars buying faucets so they could take them to Saudi Arabia so they could have water. Well, I want to tell you, you could have all of the faucets in the world. If they are not connected, they wouldn't be water. And you could have the best pastor, the best members, but if we are not connected, nothing will happen. Listen to this quotation. The reason why we accomplish so little is because we're not walking with God. He's a day's journey for most of us. What the church is from EM bound, what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not a new organization or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men and women of prayer, mighty in a prayer. The Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through people. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. Please make the commitment while you are here to be men and women of prayer. Jesus was one. Um, okay. Let's see what is the solution we have. Open with me to Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And let me finish it. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. In the book of Acts, there is 28 chapters. The amazing thing to me is there is 103 references to prayer in 28 chapters and 109 references to power. So that means in every chapter, three times God is saying, I want you to pray. And three times he's promising you that if you pray, you're going to have amazing power. And you could see that through the life of the apostles and the early church. Before the day of Pentecost, they abandoned Jesus. They ran away from him. They denied him. But after the Holy Spirit came upon them, they turned the world upside down. They were the same people, but it was the power of the Holy Spirit that changed them. Three times in every chapter we are told to pray. And the result is the Lord is willing to do great things for us. I love that. You know, not little things. This is my favorite quotation. I have this in my office, in my home. 
We shall not gain the victory through numbers, but through the full surrender of the soul to Jesus. We are to go forward in his strength, trusting in the mighty God of Israel. The Lord is willing to do great things for you, for your family, for your church, for your extended family. The Lord is going to do great things for you. Don't settle for little things, but great things. Uh, the context of this is in the story of Gideon. And in the story of Gideon, we have an enemy nation who came against Israel. And how many people did they bring with them? Does anybody remember what was the size of the army of the Midianites? 135,000. And what was the size of the army that Gideon was able to come up with? No, no. Let's start at the beginning. 30,000. So what is the ratio of 30 to 130? Well, wait a minute. You're ahead of me. Let's start at the beginning. 30 to 130. What is the ratio? Four to one. So Gideon was outnumbered four to one. Impossible to win, especially at that time where wars were man against one man, you know, one man against another one. That's what it was. But God said that's too many. So what did it drop to? Not, no, no, no. No, 10,000, 10,000. So what is the ratio now? 1 to 13. Now remember, they did not have smart missiles. They did not have airplanes. Just if you have 130,000 coming against you, you need 140,000 to win. And I could see the heart of Gideon sinking inside of him. There is no way in the world 10,000 going to win Against 130,000. Impossible. But God said that's too many. So it dropped to what? 300. Guess what the ratio is? One to 411. It's really impossible to win. Imagine you are outnumbered. By 400 people. But God gave them the victory. You know, I I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what odds are against you in life. God will give you the victory. And that thrills my heart. It doesn't matter what the odds are against your church. God will give you the victory. It doesn't matter what the odds are against your family, your kids. God will give you the victory. And and listen to this. Workers for Christ, and that's not really about pastors. It's about all of us. Are never to think, much less speak of failure. The Lord Jesus is our efficiency in all things. 
His Spirit is to be our inspiration. As we place ourselves in His hands, our means of doing good will never be exhausted. We may rely upon His grace and receive of His wisdom, which has no limit. And Wesley said, God can do more with one person who is 100% committed to Him than a whole army of men and women who are 99% committed to Him. Um, I was very surprised to go to the library at Andrews University and find out there is 160 books written on this verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, will turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. All of these commentaries are saying this is the essence of renewal in the church. So tell me what are the essence of renewal according to this verse? Humble yourself. But before that, call. Before that. Exactly. They have to know their identity in Jesus. If my people. Call. Humble is kicking arrogancy out of you. If some of you watched the, the World Cup a couple of weeks ago, they kicked the ball. That's exactly what that word means. It is uh, kicking arrogancy out of you. And then what is the next one? Pray. Pray. Seek my face, practicing God's presence. Turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their love. These are the six conditions. We belong to God and are His people. We call on His name. We humble ourselves, pray and seek Him, repent, and God will hear our prayers and will revive His church. We don't have time to read 163 commentaries, but we'll just read a short one. A revival of true godliness among us is the greatest and most urgent of all of our needs. To seek this should be our first work. But it's our work by confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the condition upon which God has promised to grant us his blessing. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. All right. I'm just going to tell you what happened. When my church dropped from 40 to 30, I decided I'm going to quit the ministry. So I went to my computer and I typed my letter of resignation. I said, this is it. I'm going to go back again to engineering. I used to be an engineer before I became a pastor. I said, I will make a lot more money. I will have my evenings and weekends off and I would never have to deal with difficult people anymore. <laughs> Not that you have any difficult peoples in your churches, but I have just few of them. So I typed my letter, and somebody knocked on the door. So I went to answer the door, and at that time we only had one computer. So my wife came to use the computer, and she read my letter. She came to me and she said, why do you want to quit? I said, that is very simple. I have calculated that if the trend will continue the way it is, in a three and a half years, there will be just you and I in the church. 
And I wanted an honorable exit. You know, as honorable as it could be. She looked at me and she said, have you been praying enough? So I started to argue with my wife. Not that I wasn't praying, but I really wasn't praying with earnestness or with passion. You know, you know how there is a difference in prayers? So I argued with my wife and then finally I lost the argument. Because deep inside I knew that I needed to pray more. So we came up with a plan. But actually, more accurately, she came up with a plan. <laughs> and we both were going to do it. The plan was very, very simple. We're going to spend one day in prayer and fasting. And watch and see what God is going to do. It was going to be all day Monday. We're going to eat our last meal on Sunday night. And the next meal will be on Tuesday morning. And we are going to spend all day Monday in a prayer. First Monday came in and um, I decided to go to the church to pray. And she decided to stay home with the kids and pray. As I was leaving to go to the church, she looked at me and she said, I want you to pray like your life depends on it. I said, I don't know what that means, but I will do my best. So I went to the church, huge building, but only 30 people come. And as you all know, all of you sit in the same spot every week. Not, in fact, not only that, but even you park your car in the same spot. So I came to where my sister over here comes and sit, and I knelt down to pray for her and her family. I decided that I would pray for everybody in the church, and I started with her. And two minutes later, I went to sleep. <laughs> and I never sleep during the day. I mean, even today, I was very tired. I, because of the change of uh, you know, time, I was not able to sleep very well last night. But still, I couldn't sleep during the day. But that day... I slept eight hours. (laughs) I woke up in the evening. I felt refreshed. (laughs) I got in the car and it dawned on me. What am I going to tell my wife? (laughs) She greeted me at the door. She said, how was it? I said, it was great. (laughs) For the two minutes... In my heart, I said that, that it lasted. Well, with the encouragement of my wife, I went back again the following week. Three minutes. And then I went back again the following week. Four minutes. And then I went back again the following week. Five minutes. And then I went back again the following weeks and back to two minutes. And... I made a very significant discovery. I'm not wired to do this. It would be a lot easier for me to have a plan or a strategy, but to sit at the feet of Jesus was hard. You know, we have a story in the Bible of two sisters, Mary and Martha. Who is the hero of that story? 
Mary, but I want to tell you a secret. Every pastor, every church is secretly in love with Martha. Because nothing will ever take place in your church without the Marthas of this world. If you want somebody to do potluck, she will volunteer to do it. If you want somebody to teach Sabbath school, she will be the one to volunteer. But doing ministry without sitting at the feet of Jesus will result in anger and resentment. Because it was Martha who went to Jesus and said, Don't you care that I am left to do all of the work by myself? She was cooking for 15 people. Twelve of them or thirteen of them were preachers. It's very hard to do that. And Jesus said to her, you are worried about too many things. Only one thing is needed. That's it. And Jesus is saying that to all of us. Only one thing is needed to sit at his feet. Well, one day I said to my wife, I'm going to do this even if it will kill me. I'm just going to just keep going and learning how to pray. But it didn't kill me. Because after a while, God got hold of my heart and changed me. I was a pastor for 12 years, but nobody taught me these things. And I started to enjoy God's presence. I started to have a lot of hope. I didn't see any changes in the church, but I felt filled with hope. I felt like God has a plan for my life. I enjoyed that time so much with him. I started to expand it the rest of the week, go for prayer walks every day. It was a significant change. It was really one of the most wonderful things that ever have happened to me where God took care of me and directed me in the right direction and changed me. I did this for maybe 10, 11 months. And one day, I came to preach. And I looked down. And there were 30 people, plus four. There were a husband and a wife and two little girls. It was a very big surprise for me because our church never had any visitors. In fact, our church was so depressing, I wouldn't have gone myself if I was not required to do so. So I said to myself, this couple must be visiting some people in our area. I completely brushed it off. Finished my sermon and went to the door to greet the people. And everybody came. And this couple waited till the end. And they came to me and they shook my hands. And I looked at the man and I said to him, why are you in my church? 
I want to give you a hint. If you are a greeter, that's not a good way to greet visitors. But I didn't care. And before he answered, I answered for him. I said, you must have some relatives in our area. He said, no, we live across the street. And I looked behind me and he pointed to one of the houses across the street from the church. So I looked back at him and I said, why are you here? He said he was fishing in Alaska. And his boss was an ex-Adventist. But this guy, this boss, will gather the crew every night and will tell them about his philosophy of life. And this guy sat, listening to his boss, have no interest in his philosophy of life. He's doing it because it is his boss. One day, the topic was going to church. And he said to them, if you ever go to church, go to the seven-day Adventist church. He didn't go, but he told them to do it. This man never have been to church in his life. Never. Not for a funeral or a wedding or anything. He's sitting there just hoping this will be over. He didn't care. Well, he finished his fishing. He came back home. And one day his wife said to him, I feel the need for God. She said, I used to go to church and I loved it. I used to go to the Catholic Church, and I want to go back again to the Catholic Church. He said to her, absolutely not. He said to her, my boss said, if you ever want to go to church, go to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. She looked at him and she said, I don't care, as long as it is a church. So they started to come over to my church. And... uh, They were the only Bible study I had. Two, three months later, I had the privilege of baptizing them. And I would like you to picture what happened that day. After the baptism, I brought them to the front. And uh, the man was standing here. His wife was next to him. And I was next to her. And I attempted to tell their story. Two, three minutes into telling their story, I drifted into telling my story. And I told them how I used to come to the church and try to pray and go to sleep. I I told the congregation that this church went for four years without any baptism. And it broke my heart. So I started to pray. And I said, Lord, I want you to give me one baptism. I want you to show yourself to me. Just reveal yourself. 
by giving me one baptism. And then maybe 10 minutes into this little talk, I said this. I said, the God of the whole universe was listening to the prayers of a discouraged pastor in the middle of nowhere in the state of Washington and gave me this couple. And when I said this, I was caught up in the wonder of God. I couldn't believe it myself that the president of the entire universe, the king of all kings, was listening to me. Have you ever thought about it? That the king of the entire universe is listening to you when you pray. So I repeated myself the second time. And I said, the king of the whole universe was listening to me. And I started to cry. And I lost it in front of 34 people. (laughs) I couldn't contain myself, just like now. And I repeated it the third time. And I said, the God of the whole universe was listening to me. And when I said it the third time, a man from the back of the church, sitting with his wife, 71 years old, came to the front, and he looked at me, and he started bawling out. He started to cry. He lost it. He said, I have five children. They all grew up in the church, but not one of them today take God seriously or go to church. But if God listened to the prayers of Pastor Joe, I know he will listen to my prayers too. He said, I am going to pray and pray and pray and never quit till God will give me my five children back. And then he turned around and faced the congregation. He said, I know all of you. All of you have children who are outside of the Lord. I want you to join me in praying for them. And then he took the Bible and went to Matthew 19. And he said, my house shall be called the house of prayer. Let us turn this place into a house of prayer. And as he said this, a woman from the other side of the church stood up and came to the front. She said, I have three children. They all grew up in the church, but not one of them take God very seriously today. But if God Listen to the prayers of Pastor Joe. I know he could listen to my prayers too. And I'm going to pray and pray till God will give me my children back. And then she looked at the man and she said to him, I am joining you in turning this place into a house of prayer. 
That day, 10 people came to the front giving similar testimonies to turn that church into a house of prayer. That group of people started to meet on Sunday morning to pray. Monday noon, Tuesday evening, every day of the week. In fact, on Sabbath, we met before church, during Sabbath school, during church, after church, to pray. The first thing that happened, all of these pity differences that killed that church disappeared. A spirit of unity, harmony, love, grace came to that church. And people started showing up at that church. It became a place of grace. Eight and a half years later, that group of 30 people grew to more than 600 people. And later on, it planted another church of about 200 people. And all of this happened in a small town in Washington where there are more cherry trees than there are people. There were 16,000 people in the whole area. But the Lord is willing to do great things. Not little things. Wonderful and awesome and great things. What happened to that man who interrupted me? I never finished my sermon. I, uh, the whole sermon was the God of the whole universe was listening to me. The Lord honored his prayers. All his children came back to the Lord. I had the privilege of baptizing them one after the other one. Uh, one of them, the youngest, we had a wonderful ceremony where he and his girlfriend of nine years were married to each other and were married to God at the same time. You know, that day, God showed up in a very powerful way. People went to church for many, many reasons, for many years. But that day was a special day. God showed up in a powerful way. I have been praying that God will show up in a very powerful way tonight. If it is your desire to join me in turning your life, your home, your church into a house of prayer, I'd like you to stand up with me. And I'd like you to start it tonight. So turn to some people next to you and pray that God will give you the desire, the discipline, the commitment to walk out of here and be a man and woman of earnest prayer. Let's Let's do that, and then at the end, let's sing, the Spirit of the living God fall afresh on us.